Well, again, good morning. Welcome. So glad that you are are here with us uh, this morning. My name is Nathan. I'm the campus pastor here. Uh, We've been walking through this uh, this ancient letter, 1 Corinthians, uh, since the beginning of the year uh, and and excited to continue, right? It gets more and more difficult as we go. um, And yet I think God continues uh, to speak to us as we do. Well, uh, when I when I grow up, I, I kind of want to be this guy right here. And I mean, honestly, I already feel like I'm sort of halfway there because I, I love road trips. I love family vacations. I mean, it's one of my it's truly one of my favorite things. Uh, and at least you know once a year we load up the kids uh, and we make the 1,200 mile trek to Florida. That's where my wife is my wife is from to, to see her family. And and usually about once a year as well we make the 1,200 mile trek to the Phoenix. Uh, my aunt has a condo there. It's a free place for us to stay. And so we are often kind of going in these opposite uh, directions. And, and we love it, right? We grab an audio book for Kelly and me. Uh, all of the movies and headphones for the kids. Very important the headphones. Um, a disgusting amount of snacks, and really the easiest excuse to eat tons of fast food that you can possibly, I mean, it, it's, it's awesome, right? Who couldn't get any better than that? And certainly, I mean, there are points along the way when we just have to sort of keep from killing each other, of course. I mean, it is 18 hours each way, right? Um, and I mean, this really is the Miller family right here when we, when we load up, ready to go. That's, that is us, right? Don't have the station wagon, but, but close enough. Um, it's, it's, it's been who we are. But the, the destination of these trips is always worth it. I mean, even, even worth that dumpy night in Dalhart, Texas. Been to Dalhart, Texas? Anybody? Had somebody after first service come to me and say, yeah, you're right. You, I have been to Dalhart. It's the worst, okay? Um, but we've kind of gotten this, this pattern, and, and part of it, on the way home from Phoenix, I mean, there really is no good way. Uh, and so from Tucumcari, New Mexico, all the way to Wichita, it's uh, two lanes, small towns, 418 miles. And you actually have to be in Texas for a while. And we sleep there. I mean, never, ever, ever would I choose to visit Dalhart, Texas. Dumpy little cattle town, and it it smells like it, okay? Trust me, this place, it's awful. And yet, for some reason, it's just sort of, it's become our, our stop. I mean, it's on the way. Uh, they sell gas there. Uh, there's a Dairy Queen. Uh, and it's just become sort of part of our journey. And, and the reality is, where you're headed always determines the path you're on, right? I mean, even, even if that means stopping off in Dalhart. It's the way it works, isn't it? I mean, the only possible explanation I can possibly give for being in, in Dalhart is that I, I love Phoenix. And so, of course, it's worth it. And if, if we step back for a second, this is, this is true in all of life, isn't it? Because the reality is, if, if, you, if you are a believer in Jesus, this means that you are headed towards an eternity in his kingdom where, where everything will be made right. That you and I will be made whole, a place of joy where we will be in the presence of God forever. And if that is true, that should determine everything about where you and I are right now. Everything. The way we live, how we love, every, every decision that we make, every sacrifice, every hobby, everything. Because where we're headed always determines the path that we take, and where we are headed is unimaginably glorious. Now, I, I realize if you hear this and you 
you don't believe any of this stuff. Or maybe even if you do believe it, um, but you, maybe you're just feeling a little bit jaded this morning. Uh, it's easy to come to that and think, oh, there it is. Yep. It's all about the future, right? Pie in the sky, empty religion, opiate of the masses, uh, and makes no difference in our lives here in this place today. I understand that criticism. There, there have been plenty of Christians throughout the, the centuries, right, who have been so heavenly minded that they've been of no earthly good whatsoever. And yet there's, there's this guy named C.S. Lewis. He lived in the last century. He uh, was a professor at Oxford University, uh, as well as Cambridge at some point. Um, and he uh, was an atheist until his 30s when he converted to Christianity. He wrote about a lot of these things. I love what he says about this subject in partic- particular. He says, A continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. He gives examples of this. talks about the apostles bringing uh, the gospel throughout uh, the the known world or or the church bringing about the Renaissance in the midst of of the Middle Ages or, or Christians abolishing the slave trade. And he says, they all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians today have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven, and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. And so Paul takes yet another look at this Corinthian church sees their spiritual pride. And now, this morning, we're going to talk about this. They're, they're defrauding and then suing one another within, within the church, right? I mean, they, they think that they're headed in one direction, but the reality is they are so far off track. Paul's like, I don't know where you guys are. I mean, it's like, it completely blows his mind that this could possibly happen in a community like this. And so what would Paul say if he looked at us? Now, what would he say if he looked here? How I treat people. How I manipulate to get my way. How I fight tooth and nail to demand my rights. Would he be able to tell where I'm headed? Would would you, if you were to look closely at me? Are there things in my life that only make sense in light of this destination? Well, let's, let's break this into three sections this morning. Where they were, where they're headed, where we're headed, and where we want to be. But let's pray and ask, ask God to help us as we look at these things. God, I, um, we need you. We're, we're here because we, we need you, whether we realize that or not. And we, we ask that you would speak to us that you would help us to see how we are in this story, even though the story is, is probably very different than most of our circumstances. God, I pray that you would give us wisdom and guidance to know how Jesus flips everything on its head, including our relationships, including how we, how we view our own rights and our own demands and our own way. And God, that you would change us, that you would change, change me. And so we come eager to hear from you, Lord Jesus, in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so where... Where were they? I mean, it was kind of like they forgot they were headed to Phoenix and just decided to vacation in Dalhart. Of course they're miserable, right? Of, of course they're, they're defrauding one another and suing and fighting and, and, and all of this. I mean, we heard it read. 
Okay, well, so let me, let me kind of summarize what's happening here. If you want to follow along, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 uh, this morning. Um, but essentially what's happening is that there are two men in the church who have been involved in a financial dealing that has gone horribly wrong, right? I mean, these are people that, that they've heard all the same sermons. They sing all the same songs, still do. Uh, they break bread together. Take, taking communion there in that place. And it's a small group. I mean, it's smaller than this, right? And so everybody knew what was going on. In a tight-knit community like that, the, the only place, right, the only sort of community of, of, of Jesus right there, everybody knew the mess that it was. Man A ripped off man B. Some fraudulent deal. Paul calls it here, he says it's a grievance. Okay, so it's, it's not a criminal matter, and that, that word implies it was probably something of kind of an everyday sort, uh, an argument, a dispute between two individuals. And, and keep in mind that elsewhere Paul talks very, very positively about the role of, of government in maintaining justice and order in a society. And so Paul's not down on that, right? But he's saying that there's something, there's something unique here in what's going on. And I would guess that some of you have probably been in a circumstance like this, at least to some degree. Um, a, f- a few, right? Maybe you even chose to do business with somebody uh, because you went to church with them uh, or because you saw their Jesus fish on the billboard or something like that, right? Uh, be careful here. Um, people for centuries have used Jesus to get ahead, okay? Be, be wise in the way that we do that. And, and so man B, right, the one who's been defrauded, he's understandably upset, right? Who wouldn't be? You can't, you can't blame him for that. And so he decides to take his problem directly to the civil magistrates, which would have been publicly located in the heart of the marketplace. So everybody is watching, right? And I did a little research here because I, w- I was kind of curious about what, you know, what was the legal system like in, in ancient Rome and, and how were disputes typically handled. And actually, I was really surprised to find that uh, Roman culture, like ours, was pretty litigious. Uh, they, they enjoyed a good lawsuit, right? It's kind of a, a, normal, a normal part of life. And like our culture as well, uh, the court systems tended to, to favor those with the most resources, right? We, we see that often enough. And so, for example, then, the Jewish community... Uh, knowing sort of the, the system of, of the way that it worked in Rome, uh, decided to develop their own sort of court system. This was a common thing in Jewish communities throughout the Roman Empire um, because they, they would see the world differently, right? They wanted to protect the poor. They wanted to protect their own community, and so they established their own sort of court systems to be able to do that, um, to be able to make sure that the, the ideals of the community uh, continued to move forward. So Paul looks here now at the Christian community, and he's pretty appalled at what's happening. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you noticed in, in verses 1 through 8 there, there are eight or nine questions and only three statements. I mean, it's sort of like Paul, he's so shocked that he can't even hardly believe what's happening. He's just trying to get his mind around how something like this, something so shameful, could possibly happen in a community of people who love and worship and follow this guy named Jesus who gave up all of his rights for us. I mean, just, just imagine. Again, you've got you to picture a small, a small community, a small church. Imagine what this was doing to them, watching this war go on between these two parties. And, and imagine what it, what it did for the outsiders looking in, right? That's it. We knew it. I mean, Christianity is like brand new, right? 
People are still trying to, they barely even heard of Jesus anywhere in that area. And they're looking in and they're thinking, yep, that's, that's, they're just like us. Just as greedy and selfish and deceitful as everybody else. I mean, imagine it here. Imagine what that would, what would do to us. Imagine turning on Judge Judy. I mean, who, lo- who doesn't love Judge Judy, right? <laughs> imagine turning her on and seeing two people in this room duking it out, guns blazing. People that you know, that you gather with, that you worship together, and you, and you watch them. Because the reality is, let's be honest, anytime you turn on Judge Judy, not that I... Not that I watch it often, but you know what I'm talking about. You, you don't sit there and you watch it thinking, man, these, these individuals, they are making good life choices, right? <laughs> I mean, nobody thinks that, right? This is kind of the lowest of the low. And here he's, and Paul's like, this, there's no place for this in the church. There, there's no place for this in a community like this. And on the one hand, it's, it's, I think it's pretty easy for us to d- d- completely dismiss this story, right? Because most of us will probably never have the occasion to take another you know, church-goer, Christian, to to court, right? It's probably not going to happen for most of us. But I don't think that gets us off the hook that easily. Because as I've been thinking about this this week, yeah, okay, so I'm not in a situation. I haven't been defrauding anyone, um, nor have I been defrauded. So I'm I'm not in this spot. But I've been thinking, man, who have I manipulated? I mean, who, who have I uh, mistreated to get my own way? Who, who have I wronged? Who have I cheated? Who have I just been unkind to? And really on the other side of this, not, not just sort of this, who have I wronged? But on the other side of this, I mean, one of the great things about being American, right, is that we love our rights, right? Everything is a right. Um, and so we fight for our rights and we will demand our rights. We'll invent new rights to support the rights that we think, right? Well, everything, is a, everything is a right for us. And so like this guy, his rights have been violated. Retaliating with a lawsuit, it's really hard to blame him. But is this what life in this new kingdom is supposed to look like? I mean, really, so as I've been wrestling with this this week, the question that keeps coming up in my mind for me personally is where am I just a little too good at getting my own way? Where, where am I a pro at that? Where do I just, I just know how to manipulate just enough so I'm always come out on top. And where, where when I don't get my way am I stuck continually fighting for my own rights? Continually defending myself. And more importantly, how would my wife, Kelly, how would she answer that question? My kids, for the people I work with, my neighbors, people who know me best. I mean, come on, I've got my rights. And you better believe I've got my ways to get them. Paul says it is better to be wronged. Better to be wronged than to damage the community. Better to be wronged than to disgrace Jesus. Which I've got to tell you, probably for us, you know, in a room like this, let's be honest, um, mostly white, mostly middle class, upper middle class. I mean, we... We're powerful and privileged. We are not used to not getting our own way. That's, that's, that's what we get, right? It's part of, part of the privilege of, of being us. And so when we hear Paul's words, better to be wrong, I mean, it's, be honest, this is like the dumbest thing most of us have ever heard, isn't it? Because we get our rights. 
We get our way. And we will do anything that we can. I mean, come on, allow somebody to step on me? Are you, are you kidding? But friends, we know where we're headed. And that has got to determine the path that we're on. So wait, where are we headed? I mean, if that's such an important deal here, that seems like a good question. Um, and we're not the first people to have forgotten. Um, look, look at what Paul says. Let's pick it up again in verse, verse 1 here. So he starts off, right, in this, this chapter. He says, when, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? And the word saints there, it's not like a special category of Christian. It's anybody who follows Jesus. I mean, it's sort of Paul's way of referring to all Christians. So if you're a Christian, you're a saint, okay? That's what, that's what he's saying. Verse 2. Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that you are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? Okay, so here's the deal. If you, if you think this is all there is, then what choice do you have? Of, of course you've got to protect your rights. Of course you've got to protect your, your reputation and your finances. You've got to do anything. In fact, honestly, why don't I go a little bit further? I mean, you've got to take and you've got to grab. Who cares about the community? If your future is six feet under, then you've got to squeeze every bit of satisfaction out of now. But if there's more, look what he says. If we are with Jesus now, we will reign with him then. And we will judge the world. I knew it. Christians are fundamentally judgmental, right? It's part of the core of who we are. No, I don't, I don't, think, I don't think that's what Paul's getting at there. It's not that we get to sort of laugh at all the sinners as they get theirs. It's not, that's not what he's saying. It's that you and I, in, in ways that I cannot even begin to imagine, that if you're a follower of Jesus, that you and I, we will get to stand aside, beside Jesus, for the judgment and the destruction and the making right of all that is evil and broken in our fallen world. All of it. And, and that you and I, in ways I can't even imagine, that we will actually participate in this moment. And so, together with Jesus, we will say to hell with cancer, and it will go. And to child abuse, and to poverty, and to war, and to, to violence, and pain, and loneliness, and depression. And to, and to all of your regrets, and mine. And to every one of your disappointments, and, and mine. And to, to all of the injustice that we have experienced, and accomplished, and seen every bit of it. Even death itself, the ultimate enemy. We will say, go to hell, and it will go. Never, never to be seen again. And then we will together witness the recreation of this world into all that it should be. All that it was meant to be. Goodbye, pain. Goodbye, suffering. My selfishness and my inability to, to be who I long to be so long. And welcome joy. Welcome wholeness, welcome love, and God himself will live with us. And you're going to waste your time in small claims courts? Really? 
you're going to argue and fight and gossip about and complain with somebody that you're going to spend forever with? Really? Where you're headed determines the path you're on. But in Corinth, they're living as if this is it, right? Stuck in Dalart, as if everything revolves right there. And honestly, truth be told, most of the time, so am I. It makes me sick. I mean, even just to think about, right, the, the beauty of, of, and the anticipation and the joy of, of what we've just said, of all that's in store for us, and then I look at the pathetic way in which I actually live my life. Are we shaped by the destination? Has it determined our choices, our, our path, the things that we're uh, valuing and, and loving? Am I letting this glorious future determine everything? Does it, does it actually make any difference? And if not... How can I be confident that that's really where I'm going? Don't we long for this? I mean, life like this, restored, made whole, a place of, of community and joy and, and wholeness. I mean, whether you're, whether you're a Christian or not, right? You may not, you may not believe that this is going to happen or that this is the path to get there, and yet don't we all just long for this? So what, what would it actually look like to try to live this out? And we've said this is, this is where they were, right? And this is where we're headed. So what does it look like here and now? What, how do we do this? Well, I think there's three things that we see. Uh, first, uh, you and I can bring peace to a situation. Man, that's, that's really what Paul's getting, a real peace. I mean, I was even reading this morning in my own sort of devotional time, I'm reading uh, through Matthew, and I love how Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, that's, that's who we're called to be. And, and Paul, he even refers to us as agents of reconciliation. And basically what the idea there is that if God can reconcile us to himself, we who have committed treason against him, we who would love to destroy him if we could, if we can be reconciled with God through Jesus Christ, then certainly he can reconcile two of his followers. And so often he uses us to do that, to be a part of that. So ask yourself, where this week can you bring peace to a difficult situation? Or, or where, where do you need to seek forgiveness from someone that you've wronged? Or someone that you've retaliated against? Now, we've got to be careful here because Paul is not suggesting that we completely replace the legal system. Because let me even, even clarify further. This is a civil matter, not criminal, okay? That's, that's really an important detail because there have been times uh, when the church has shamefully hid behind this passage in matters of, of sexual abuse of children. That is not okay, right? And that is not, that's not at all what Paul is saying here. We will not stand behind, behind that. But in these everyday sorts of disputes, that's the language that Paul is using. If God thinks we're capable to judge all that is evil and reign with him forever, I mean, that means every case is trivial in comparison to Judgment Day. It's not, it's not that Christians are smarter. I mean, you know, believe me, look around, right? We know better than that. We're not smarter. But we see the world differently. And we see the world with the end in mind, don't we? And, and Paul has told us, we have, we have God's spirit within us. We have the mind of Christ and we, we have prayer. Shouldn't we at least begin here? We're family. And the reality is the moment you take your sister to court, 
like in a, in a nuclear family, you both lost, right? Without a doubt, even Paul, right? That's what he says in verse 7. He just points it right out. He says, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you both already lost in this situation. That's what he's saying. It's kind of like when you, when you fight in your, in your marriage. Those of you who are married, you, you know this, right? This reality. And you fight to win. And so maybe you do actually beat your spout, not physically. You, 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 know, you win in the argument, but don't, don't be an idiot in that situation. You know you both just lost, right? Because you have to, you have to live with the person that you just pummeled. Or even this, this new uh, miniseries on, on NBC, it premiered this week, The Slap. I don't know if you've heard of this. Maybe some of you watched it this week. Um, I, I watched the trailer, at least, and read a little bit about it. And essentially, the premise is how a legal dispute within a family, uh, an actual family, completely destroys them, pulls all of them apart, and how some issues simply cannot be solved in a courtroom. Because really, even if you think about it, I mean, there, certainly there's a place for the legal system. I'm not, I'm not at all talking about that. Um, but the question, what's legal? That, I mean, that is like the lowest common denominator, isn't it? I mean, it's like asking, what can I get away with? But that's not what we do, right? I mean, we ask, what is right? What's best? What is actually loving in this situation? There's always a winner and a loser in a courtroom. Here, there's at least a chance for reconciliation. Unfortunately, the problem is that we often wait until the conflict is so messy that it's just too late to do anything about it, don't we? Better call Saul. That's a last resort, if ever, isn't it? Yeah, but come on, Nathan. Really, the church is a mess. Be honest. It's true. I don't know if you've looked at the legal system lately. Um, it's not exactly a peach. And honestly, here's, here's the reality. If you're more concerned about your rights than about reconciliation, and if you're more concerned about getting your due uh, than displaying who Jesus is to a desperate world, then fine, go for it. Just don't pretend you're headed for Phoenix when you're really just living it up in Dalhart. At least start with the church. Seek godly counsel. And maybe, maybe peace will come. But if not, better to be wronged. That's what Paul says. Blame him on that, okay? That we can be wronged and still flourish. That's the second thing. I mean, it's amazing that Paul says this, right? And again, for us in our culture, I mean, this, for us in particular, this is really, really hard. It's hard for me. But look what we said, verse 7 again. He says, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Uh, because I don't, I don't want to. I mean, there's a lot of good reasons, right? I don't want to suffer. I don't want to be taken advantage of. I, I don't want to have people step on me or be wrong. Of, of course you don't. Nobody does. And honestly, chances are, every one of us in this room, whether you're a Christian or not, every one of us has been hurt by another Christian, right? I can't imagine that not being true in somebody's circumstance, right? Uh, somebody who, maybe a relationship gone wrong, or maybe a business deal like this, but probably not. Maybe it's more of just somebody who's hurt your reputation or betrayed you in some way or just ignored you or criticized you or, or didn't know that you were hurting or on and on and on, right? Every one of us. And it hurts and it stinks, what choice do we have? 
retaliation? Really? Fight back? Make them pay? Really? I mean, you know you're going to spend forever with that person, right? And meanwhile, we destroy Jesus' reputation. Because you do realize the non-Christians in your life are watching you, right? And if, they, if they know that this is part of, of who you are, and I hope that they do, because if, if this is part of who you are, how can you not live it, right? How can you not, exp- maybe not even, you know, just, how can people not see it in us, right? And so hopefully they, they know that, but they're watching you, and they're going to make judgments about Jesus and about a church and about all other Christians based on who you are and who I am when they see us. Better to be wronged. I mean, Jesus did say that there's, there's a time when it is, it's better to just turn the other cheek. A million years from now, do you really think it's going to matter that so-and-so hurt your feelings? Or ripped you off? I mean, will it really matter when we get there? When all that is lost will finally be restored? I mean, sometimes it is just, it's better to lose. Because in the end, we, we win anyway. And listen, I want to be careful here as well, because this, this is not a call to absolute passivity. Um, that's, that's not what Paul is saying. In fact, if you see injustice uh, in the life of another person, absolutely step in and speak up and, and defend the rights right, of, the, of the powerless. Of course we're going to do that. And frankly, this isn't even a call for us to sort of enable evil in other people, right? To just become you know, floor mats and allow that. In fact, if you were here with us last week, Okay? We talked about sort of the, the church's role in, in disciplining those who are engaged in a lifestyle of sin. So that, that's the context. Paul's not just saying, well, we'll just let it bygones be bygones. He's saying, we'll deal with this guy if he continues. In fact, that's, that's exactly where he goes in verse 8. He doesn't let this creep off the hook. Don't think for a moment that the church is just sort of soft on this area, okay? Look what, look what he says. These are, these are fighting words in verse 8. Here he addresses the crook. In verse 7, he's kind of addressing the one who's been defrauded. Here it's, it's to those or the person um, who, are, who are doing the defrauding. He says, but you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. Uh, don't you know, that's sort of the idea there, don't you know that the unrighteous people like you, he's saying, will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. There's two lists here. Um, Verse 9 is essentially sexual sins. Uh, We'll talk about that next week. Yippee. All right. Everybody's excited for that one. Uh, And verse 10 is is greed sins. Sins of of taking, essentially. And this this is where we're at. Uh, this morning. So it's not that this person gets off the hook. There's there's just a different judge than us individually as we deal with these things. Judgment is coming, and for the one who is hurting you, if you're stuck in a situation where there is someone who is continually uh, mistreating you, let I mean, help us help you in that, right? But what Paul is saying is if they persist in their sin, that reveals a heart that wants nothing to do with Jesus. And that in the end... He's, he's going to make it right, whatever that looks like in that person's life. And if you find yourself somewhere on that list of sins, kind of ought to freak you out a little bit. And we better repent. God will make it right. And so where this week, 
Maybe even today, where can you set aside your rights for the sake of somebody else? Where can you quit manipulating, quit jockeying for position to end up on top? Where can you, where can you die to yourself, even, even today? Or, or, or where can you ask for forgiveness again in this area? Where can you choose to lose if necessary? Finally, the last thing here I want to say, this is really where, where Paul goes at the end. Um, we got to live, as we live in light of our destination, uh, we can trust the one who's already started this process in us. And, and this is really imp- important because if you're anything like me, uh, you've heard this and you've thought, this is what I dealt with this week. Um, well, great, the future, awesome. I mean, it's cool and I'm excited, but that's not where I live, right? I live here now and sometimes it stinks and it's painful and I don't want to be mistreated. And, and honestly, I, I really like to win, right? I mean, any, anybody else dealing with that? We don't, we don't like this. And so what about, what about now? Well, Paul hasn't forgotten us. And he reminds us that Jesus has already begun this process in us. He's already begun the process of making this world new, of making new creation in us and around us. And so he throws out this laundry list of sins, right? It's a long list. It's not meant to be exhaustive. It's kind of an et cetera you can think of at the end of it. But I got to tell you, as I look at that list, I mean, don't you know I'm guilty of almost everything on that list? Most of them, at least. And I think what Paul wants to remind the Corinthian church, and what I think we so desperately need to see, is it's so easy to identify with the one who's been harmed and we forget that, man, sometimes it's me that's doing the harming. Because Paul, Paul he's, he's turning it here, isn't he? It's almost as if he said, you know, Nathan, you're the one who takes, aren't you? I'm really at the core of it. I'm the one who manipulates. Who has to fight to get my own way. And it's almost as if, as Paul is writing this letter, he looks each of us square in the eyes, and he, he knows where we're guilty. He knows our shame. He knows that we don't belong in this kingdom that God is creating and has established through Jesus. He knows how each one of us in this room takes and retaliates. But what does he say? Verse 11, I love this. And such were some of you. This is, this is who we were, and this is where we were headed. But you were washed. You were sanctified, the idea that it made whole. You were justified, meaning declared good in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. If that's true, what else do we really need? Where we're headed determines the path that we take. And whose we are determines everything. And we're His. Let's pray. God, I know how, um, how quickly I defend myself, fight for myself, or just even manipulate to get what I want. God, I pray that you'd help us, help me to see uh, when I do that and don't even realize it. And God, that you would challenge us convict us, but also continually show us your forgiveness. God, help us to see how Jesus is, I mean, Jesus gave up all of his rights and allowed himself the most terrible mistreatment. 
simply so that we could have life. And God, give us joy in the future that you have for us. Give us anticipation that we together will will stand with you as you make this world right, as you destroy all that is evil around us and within us, and that you will make us whole. May that be our joy and our motivation and our strength. And God, in the midst of it, as we wait, as we continue to to be abused by the, the, the people around us, the relationships we're in, God, I pray that you would hold us, comfort us, give us joy even in the pain. Lord Jesus, we want you to be glorified. Amen.